0: Oh, guys, I didn't deserve something that cool, but b- praise God, everybody needs something like that in the morning, you know, especially when you slept on a, on a floor, and, and uh, so y'all are going to have to really help me out this morning, uh, it's good to see my Corpus friends, thank you guys, and um, of course, as, as a, a, a pastor in Corpus, and like, we've been so isolated this year, like, this has been, like, the best thing ever, wouldn't you all say, just to be around other Christians, you know, and for you from other campuses, just to be around, like, people from different campuses that all believe the same thing, you know, in, in a way, like, this is, this really is, like, what, to me, what the refuge is all about. It's about, it's about, like, retreating into the presence of God in the fellowship of believers, you know what I mean? Like, like a refuge, like in, in the Bible, the Old Testament, like the, the word, the refuge city was a place for people to go when they were in trouble, right? When they, when they basically messed up and they killed someone on accident or whatever, you know, they'd come to the refuge city and they would be protected, you know? And, and they were with people that, that they knew had their back, <clears throat> had their back, I'm going through puberty again. And um, that, that's what I feel like in here. I feel like I'm around people that, that have my back, that, that believe the same, that, that um, have the same hearts, and, and want to see the same things happen through our lives, all right? You went through some things to get here. All right. You may have had some like some issues like convincing your parents that it is a good idea to be around a, a bunch of people at a conference or or maybe other things like we're trying to stop you from coming and maybe it was money. I don't know, but you you're here. You're here. And uh, so let's just since we're here, let's not let sleep deprivation get the best of us. Let's not let's not let anything stop us from hearing from God this morning. Amen. That's what I believe is that God is going to do something incredible. Uh, just by way of introduction uh, I'm old. I'm, uh, I'm 44. I've been doing campus ministry my whole ministry thing. I've never really done anything else. I, I worked uh, three years before I got into ministry and uh, I was doing great, had had, uh, had my life kind of like planned out and then the Lord interrupted me by, by speaking to me while I was sitting in a hot tub one night, and, and he said, Will, you're going to be a missionary, and I was like, oh, okay, sure, I, I was like, all right, well, what does that mean, <laughs> and, uh, and I had no idea that it would turn into this, you know, all these years later, to have the kind of memories that I have from, from you know, watching God move, you know, my, I had a boring life compared to to what we're doing here in Chi Alpha today. It's just it's just amazing to see how how God can can use someone simple and and I wouldn't say uneducated, but definitely untrained, <laughs> untrained in ministry for sure. Uh, and and to let great things happen. So uh, and my family's here. My family's back here. You all stand up, just real for that fast. My three daughters and my wife love them to death. They're so awesome. They are, they are awesome. All right, so um, we, are, we are all preaching on one theme, but we have completely different messages. Um, our, our theme is Matthew 8, 21, and 20, well, 21 through whatever. It's the three would-be followers of Jesus. Um, last night, Daniel brought it Thank you so much, Daniel, for being used to the Lord and just letting him speak through you. And, um, but today we're going to talk about the second would-be follower of Jesus. So, uh, y'all have notes, I hope. We're taking notes. We're, we're engaged, all right? I'm going to need some amens out here so we don't fall we don't, right. I like that. <laughs> Let's do this. So, Matthew eight twenty-one and 22. <sighs> Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Oh, it's like almost like, oh, man, that's, that's pretty harsh, right? Now, I'm going to let Jesus do the talking, but I'm, I'm hopefully going to be used to, to help hit on some nerves today that you may not have known were there. All right. Uh it's kind of like me, I was I was using a chainsaw the other day and I was like I was doing it for hours, right? Just just like working on like cutting stuff down. And the next day I'm like, "Oh, what's I I have a muscle over here." Like, you know what I mean? It's like it's like when you when you do that workout that you haven't done in like a year and you're like, "Oh, man, I can't walk anymore." All right? So so the Lord wants to, t- to try to do that. This, this is the perfect time to let the Lord work in our lives in, in ways that maybe we hadn't known about or heard about before. And um, in order to understand this verse, we've got to first take a step back and look at what, it, what is the basic understanding of, of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Sometimes we go and get to the particulars and we forget about the basics, right? Right. Um, well, the Christian faith is best represented by understanding the early church, the first century church, the church that we see in the book of Acts, all right? And um, if you were to ask me to describe to you, like, in a phrase, like, what, what is one thing that, that you could label the first century church, and I would tell you, on fire. They were on fire, all right? They were, they were passionate. They went out, and they didn't care what anybody else thought. They just went out, and they preached the gospel wherever they went. They didn't care if they got, like, put in jail. They didn't care if they got killed, and many of them did, right? And we see this in the story through Acts. We see people getting thrown in jail and put in, into places where they were just being treated horribly, and it didn't stop them. And, and Acts, as a matter of fact, they evangelized their entire known world in their generation. That's the truth that's the truth, so this is the model. this is what we want to look at. this is this is what we're after in our Christian life. okay? Do we see that today? well let's you know what i mean let's let's start to think about that let's start to evaluate like what's happening in in our world and our in our personal lives today um, so so we have uh, a, the example. Of the early church, but we, when we're talking about people on fire, that, that is like a universal thing that we see all through the Bible. You know, we see people that were on fire even in the Old Testament. This isn't just because Jesus came, that people wanted and passionately like longed for God. You know, and, and my goal today is to get us to get on fire for God. And, you know, instead of me trying to bore you I would like to just excite you with what the Bible says about people that are on fire. So let's take a look at a couple of stories this morning that have to do with people that were on fire. All right? And um, there's three stories that I want to share, two from the Old Testament one from the New. All right? We're going to be talking about Moses in the burning bush. We're going to be talking about Isaiah in the presence of God. And we're going to talk about the 120 that were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. Y'all excited about this? Let's do this. All right. So the uh, first one is Exodus chapter 4, 10 through 12. This is a story that we can relate to because Moses, Moses didn't think he had what it takes. Who in here doesn't think they know what it takes or doesn't feel like they have what it takes in order to serve God with their whole lives. They feel inadequate. Does anybody in here feel inadequate sometimes? Oh man, I I cannot believe that I'm up here speaking in front of people, you know, like I, I was the person who would, would rather not even go to speech class, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so here's Moses in, in chapter 4 verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, "Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue." The Lord said to him, "Who gives human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? <clears throat> who gives them uh, who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you. Speak, and I I will help you speak, and will teach you what to say." So, first of all, this is a story about a man who sees a burning bush, all right? Now, how cool would that be? The bush is burning. I've seen burning bushes before, but I never saw a bush that didn't, like, consume the bush, you know what I'm saying? That bush stayed there. And, and it, was, it was, like, Moses, like, experiencing God in a, in a way that was, that was personal to him, Right? And it was, it was also the, the result of him, like, longing after God for a long time. He is, he's just like a shepherd, right? And he's just, like, out there doing his thing, but he's worshiping God and longing for the people of Israel to be delivered, right? And this is his passion. This is his heart. He's, he keeps crying out day and night, like, Lord, will you deliver us from these wicked Egyptians? And then one day he sees this burning bush. He's like... What's going on? And, and all of a sudden, he realizes that, that God is going to answer him. But then he realizes he's being asked to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, oh you want me to be the answer? You know, haven't you ever prayed? And it's like, Lord, do this. And then, and then he's like, you do it. <laughs> and then you're like, well, that, that's not what I meant. <laughs> This is exactly what's happening. Mo- Moses is like, send somebody else. I don't want to do this. Because this is way too hard. And then there, there's a process of God comforting him and realizing that I can do this. With God's help, I can do this. And even though Moses basically was like, I'm not going to do this, <laughs> then, then Aaron came along, right? And there was still a way. And even in our um, insufficiencies, God begins to to work in us and through us. And he's working the different angles. And he's not going to stop until he has his way. All right? So um, to me, the burning bush that burns hot but never runs out of fuel is a symbol of, to me, of of how a Christian feels when they're consumed with God. All right? So you have a burning bush inside of your heart that never runs out. It's starting to just, like, consume. It's co- starting to, like, take over. And it's the thing that you just, just, you just, like, feel it, right? It has to, like, come out in some expression, all right? That's what, that's what the burning bush symbolizes to me. They're touched by the supernatural fire. All right, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. This is another startling moment because, look, he's, first of all, in the presence of God— so it's some sort of, like, vision, right? He's, he's there. So you don't, that doesn't happen unless you really, really want it. You've been praying for it. You know what I'm saying? Or unless you're dead. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, John had a big vision like Revelation. This is one of those moments. Like, Isaiah is, like, in the presence of God. And so, um, man, let's just read this story and, and see what happens. So he's in the presence Verse 5 says, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, he has, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And this is the best part. And then I said, Here I am, send me. We have to start at the beginning when we see what happened when he's in the presence of God. And this is what happens no matter how good you think you are when you're in the presence of God, the fear of God takes over. Right. And that's a good thing because he's he's not he's not like dreadful, but he is saying I am I am so small compared to you and my sin is right in front of me. Right. I thought I was OK until I got in the presence of God and still so, and, and now I am like undone. Now I am ruined. Now I don't have anything good to offer you know, the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. You know, it's a quite a vivid illustration. And we have uh, nothing to offer God. But here we go. The angel or the seraphim took the, t- the coals from the altar with a tongue and, and, and it was, I don't, I don't even think it was a burning sensation. It was just a cleansing sensation. Because it doesn't talk about him screaming out in pain. It was relieving to have that, that burning sensation come and overcome him and to take away his sin. In other words, whatever pain may have been there was, was, was squelched by the fact that he was overwhelmed with joy. That that sin was gone. You know what I'm saying? And so he's, now he's clean. Now he feels... Uh, like he could do anything in front of God's presence. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? To, to feel unhindered by any sin. To be unhindered by shame. And to be able to to listen to God and to follow him wholeheartedly. And this is exactly what happened. The, the response of Isaiah was exactly that. You know, as soon as God calls him and, and asks him to be obedient, that's the first thing he says is, here, I'll go, I'll, I'll do it. This is what happens when we've been touched by the coal of the altar, all right? And as a Christian, we realize that we translate that and say that one drop of Jesus' blood is enough to cleanse all of my sin. All I have to do is ask him for forgiveness. All I have to do is to, is to really repent, actually to, to say, okay, I'm done with all of my sin and I give myself 100% to you. Okay? And it's, that's what the coal represents. It's saying, I am clean. I am pure. I am unhindered. I can now follow God wholeheartedly. And whatever he says to do, I'm going to do it. That's what it means to be on fire. All right? Now let's go one more. Acts chapter 2. This is really exciting. Because this is the moment... That they've all been waiting for Jesus. They 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 knew He was resurrected, right? But they were not yet empowered to serve. They were waiting because that's what that's what Jesus said to do. So we know that there's some level of, of obedience, right? They're, they are they are intent on following God wholeheartedly, but there's here's another level of consecration going on. So Acts chapter two one through four says, when the day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That would be really cool to be part of. There's about 120 people in there in an upper room, probably very hot and sweaty, and they've been doing this waiting for several days. Waiting. That's a hard thing to do sometimes, right? In our our very quick, fast-paced world today, to even say, I'm willing to wait for something good to come into my life. I'm willing to pray every day and wait on the Lord. I'm willing to fast sometimes, and to, and to get closer to God, you know? I'm willing to put away some of the things, some of my pleasures, and, 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 and to let God have more room in my life. That's hard to do, right? It's, it's hard to, to break away from the crowd, even the Christian crowd sometimes, right? And to, and to wait for something big. But God promises, just, just today, he promises, just like he promised then, that he will do something big if you wait. And these people were waiting for days and days and days. And then all of a sudden it came. The answer to their prayer, the answer to their heart's desire was now met. And, the, and what happened was this, this amazing act of God filled them up with a holy attitude and boldness. The the tongues of fire, that's just a a visual representation of what was really happening in their hearts. They were being set on fire in their hearts. And their hearts were being consumed with a holy passion to go and preach the gospel all over the city. How do I know that? Because if you read a few verses more, you see exactly what happened. So let's do that. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So Peter replied, and this is him preaching. He just, like, ran out, and he's, like, preaching now, like, literally right afterwards. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for whom the Lord our God will call. And then, with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. They usually, when they count, they don't count the women and the children. So there was probably more like four or 5,000. You know what I mean? Because when, when, when the guy gets saved in that culture at least the the whole family is basically saved and this happened again and again and again all through the book of acts there was there was a mighty outpouring of the holy spirit and people were preaching the gospel and they were being sent out as as missionaries whether they called it missionary or not they were going out they were they were like on mission for jesus They were planting churches. They were, you know, when Paul got saved, his thing was like, I am going out of of my comfort zone. I'm going out to the Gentiles. I'm going out to the farthest place I can think of because they need to hear the gospel too. Are we doing that today? Are we letting, are we letting COVID stop the church? From doing this? Are we, are we letting our fears get the best of us? There's a lot of things that come up when 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 we're tested. And, and I think it's a good thing for the church to get tested. You know? It's a good thing. All of these people that I just mentioned, these stories, they were all tested too. And many bigger ways than we are right now. In, in, in a way, it's like this is a blessing because it helps us to feel connected to these people. Like these aren't just like mystic heroes of the past, but this is, this, these are just ordinary people. These are real people that, that faced extraordinary circumstances and then were, were led by a supernatural God to do great things. And I feel like that's what God wants to do here. He wants to use our, our, our circumstances to be tested and then to be dependent on an extraordinary God to go and use us to do great, great things. Moses led his people out of Egypt. Hundreds of thousands of people. God did mighty signs and miracles through a man who said he couldn't speak well. That's incredible. And then he had the fortitude to withstand all of their grumbling and complaining for the next 40 years. That takes a lot of passion. That takes a lot of inner strength. God did something to to make his heart ready for that. That's amazing. So, And then later, he he receives the Ten Commandments. His face would be glowing from being in the presence of God. He put something deep inside of Moses' heart that he could not. He was ruined, just like Isaiah. And Isaiah was ruined, right? In other words, he wasn't ruined like I'm destroyed. He's saying, ruined, my old life is gone. That's what he's saying. He's saying, my whole life is changed. It's over because now I live for God. Right? And so he was entrusted to write wonderful uh, amounts of, of the Bible, right? And, and out of that, I believe, at least 19 different prophecies that were specific and that Jesus fulfilled. Pretty important. Pretty amazing. Just a man who got set on fire for God. Okay. Peter, the Apostles. That's including Paul. They, um, they spread the gospel. They planted churches all over the place. Basically, all of them died, except for, for John, who had a, a long life, still in exile, in prison, essentially, until his death. So they all suffered greatly, and they did it well. They endured the persecution, all the attacks. It didn't stop them. Nothing stopped them. Nothing would stop them. That's what it means to be on fire. They all finish their races to the very, very end. So when you're on fire, something happens to you. Are you on fire? I want to ask you that. Just to think, just ask yourself, am I on fire? Well, here's some things you can think about. If you're on fire, here's a couple things that start to happen. You start to get some desires. You start to to say, okay, I'm willing to discipline myself. I'm willing to not just be so, like, all over the place. I'm willing to, to actually abide with Christ. I, I make that my priority now. I want to abide with Jesus. I want to be aware of his presence all the time, not just on Sundays, not just at Chi Alpha. But, but when I wake up, the first thing I think about is, like, what, what is God doing? Where, you know, what is God saying? All right? You're, you're not like me first. You're like God first all right, and you put discipline into your life, you you start to systematically destroy sin in your life. You put everything away that would hinder you because your relationship with God is so important. Your love for the Bible, your love for for Christian authors begins to be the number one thing that, that feeds you. Just like Jesus said, I have food you don't even know about, right? It's because he's consumed with with the presence of his father. He's consumed with the scriptures. He's consumed with the thoughts and meditations of God. Nothing else is as important as that. All right? You have an ability to persevere. You have the ability to to withstand um, not just temptation, but but, um, trials, disappointments, things that come against you, right? People who just disagree with you. And, 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 you know, or telling you that you're doing the wrong thing, but you really know that the Lord is calling you to do something. You're doing the right thing. You can persevere. You can persevere. And you find your comfort in the Holy Spirit. That's where you get your strength. It's not from the, the praise of other people or from the agreement of others. It's from agreement with the Holy Spirit. And finally, a new sense of courage. So you have, you have something that you didn't previously have. You have the ability to go, and, and instead of being um, so, like, timid and shy, and, and that's probably most of us, right? But then something comes over you. The Holy Spirit empowers you, and your, your desire to see lost souls saved becomes more important to you than your own feelings, right? Than your own, like, timidity. And all of this stuff that stops us from, from, from going out and, and to reaching out to people. Um, you will share your testimony with people. You will be, you will be one of those people who, who everyone else is like, really? <laughs> they're they're going to be like, come on. You're really that fanatical? Like, settle down. They're going to say that about you. Because the fire of God is consuming your heart, amen? So, I, I have to ask this then, why is it that our church today, at least in the West, is seemingly crippled by COVID? Why is it seemingly, disappointingly flatlined, you know, barely has a heartbeat, isn't being the salt and light, isn't isn't in the front lines of the battlefield. What is happening? Why why is this going on? Um, so now I want to go back to the would be follower of Jesus, and let's take a look at it again. So Matthew eight twenty one and twenty two. So he's asking to do something very common, or not common, but like very like reasonable, I would say to go and bury his father. And Jesus says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now that should just shake you for a minute, right? Because any workplace, if you say that my father died, is going to give you time off work, right? If you tell your school, I have a family member die. They're going to give you plenty of time to, to be off of school and to make up that work, right? And, you know, the, the, if, if you're going on a flight, they will sometimes give you a bereavement fare because they want to help you get home because, you know, you deserve to grieve. Why would Jesus be seemingly be rude to this man who just wants to bury his father? Okay. So here we go. Let's unpack it a little bit more. See, this is, this is a different culture. And we have to understand that he's speaking to a different culture. When, when I think of different cultures, I, I always think of um, uh, going back to missions training. I remember being with Preston at a, at a missions training event. And uh, there was like these, this game scenario where we had to like act like, we had, we had certain social rules, so we were in two different teams and we had to, like, interact with the people from the other team and try to get some things accomplished, And and they were totally different types of people. So from the West, the people from the West were, like, individualistic and had, like, Basically, like, they had autonomy to go and, like, decide what they do with their lives, where they go to college, you know, who they get to marry. And it it had nothing to do with deciding things as a group or as a family. Over here in the East, there's the people that had to, like, decide everything as a family. And, like, whatever, like, the family says goes. And, like, you have obligations to your family. And so these people were trying to interact in this game scenario. And by the end of it, like, both sides were completely frustrated, and like, and the whole that was the point is that it's it's almost impossible to be a person from the West like we are to understand what it's like to be uh, from the East. And and the East was a high group culture. They were people who who are very strongly connected. Their identity was connected to their family and to the trade of the family, and and you had obligations to your family. So so this was very important to understand. That that this this person was saying that uh, he had an obligation to his family to to bury his father, and what this most likely means is that his father was not dead. What he's saying is, I need to I have an obligation to my family as as the man of the, uh, the second man in charge basically to to take over the affairs of my family, my father's business. He's sick. And I have, to, I have to take care of my family. And when my father da- dies and all of that is settled, in other words, it could be in a week. It could be in 10 years. But as long as he's alive, I'm obligated to my family. Now That sounds a lot different, right? This is, this is a legitimate thing that he's saying, I, I need to do this. And then I will go and follow you. So he he wasn't saying he didn't want to follow Jesus. He just felt like he had to do this first. So um, I think there's something that Jesus wants to reveal to us right now about priorities. Okay, priorities are tricky when it comes to things like this. Because this is a legitimate right. This is something that he feels strongly about. And I, I bet you, if I were to, uh, like, ask you to evaluate how you feel about your family and, and the importance of how they view you and the importance of, like, your obligations to your family, many of you would say that that's very important to you, right? In other words, like, you know, I have certain family obligations. You know, I have to be home, you know, whenever it's somebody's birthday, Right? I have got to be home to take care of, you know, so and so because you know what I mean? You have these different obligations to your family and they're expecting you to be there for family traditions. I've heard that that it's it's a really big deal in the valley to have like New Year's Eve with your family. Right? And, And and that happens to fall usually right at the time that salt happens. Am I pushing on any nerves here? <laughs> What's the priority? So um, I'm going I'm to illustrate what I'm about to say with another scripture. Matthew 12, 46. While Jesus was still walking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So it seems like Jesus is pushing the buttons. He's saying that there is a higher priority than even your family. And it is this. It is he who believes in me and will do my will. That is your priority. Your priority is to do God's will. And there is a community of people that agrees together to do God's will. Right? There's also people that attend these services and our churches that aren't like that. And that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that are connected in heart and spirit to one another that also come to these things. But, but because of the, of the connection, that is the church. That is the kingdom of God in action. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that there is a higher priority than all of the earthly things and affairs that are going on, even our family affairs. And that is to build the kingdom. Building the kingdom is a higher priority. It doesn't mean that the other ones aren't a priority, but there's an order. And this is the key. If we don't have them in the priority that we just said, then you are struggling with letting Jesus have full surrender, having full surrender to Jesus in your life. That That is where the issue is. If you... If you are struggling to let things, the earthly affairs of this life, have a higher priority over the things of God, and especially what he's calling you to do, then you're struggling with full surrender to God. I've got a good Watchman knee quote. I'm going to let him slap you around a little now. <laughs> Amen. All right. The, this is his Words. The reason why so many people are not being drawn into the kingdom is not because God has no desire to have the gospel preached, nor because he has no intention to save men, but because he does not have the man or men whom he can use. Many believers are possessed by vainglory. Many Christians are engrossed in enjoyment. Many are too occupied with their families. Many are too enslaved to comfort. They have no heart for preaching the gospel or doing God's work. Oh, if every brother or sister were willing to cooperate with God, who could count the number of people he would save? The reason God's work is held back is because he does not have his man. Oh, that really convicts me. You know, every time I'm, I'm having this struggle between family versus ministry, you know, like, I have to trust that sometimes spending less time with my family is going to be the right move because I worry. It's like, am I, am I, am I like literally like, like leaving them behind? Yet I know God is calling me and propelling me forward in some ministry thing. And I have to understand that, that there's going to be a way for everything to balance out and work out if I trust God. Right, but I have to trust God. I have to. I have to surrender my right to let my family be the highest priority, and I have to allow God to allow me to to um, to let Him be first place. And and His His kingdom advances as we understand the priority is the, that order. Um, and I think that there's there's obstacles to reaching people today with the good news. Of Jesus Christ when this community is being tested there's struggles we have to understand that this is a this is a good thing for us because we're brought to the place just like Daniel was saying like there's it's like you're being brought down to the that place of like desperation and everything is being taken away all the bells and whistles of our ministries is being taken away and and we're being cornered in a way it's a good thing because that is the place where we can say, I have nothing left. That's so good. And um, so we need to have a place where we finally say, I surrender all of my rights to God. All of my rights are on the line here. Yeah, and it's right to take care of your family. But to succumb to their wishes all the time, you know, I, I, I just remember... Uh, I was, like, counseling a person who wanted to go on a mission trip but just couldn't make themselves, so, like, couldn't figure out how to reconcile that their parents were, were not down with it and were scared, like, like, overly scared. It was, like, ridiculously, like, over-paranoid, you know, and, but he didn't see that because that's how he grew up, and he's like, do I, I'm supposed to submit to them, right? I'm supposed to submit to them, and I'll just say it this way. Basically, the Lord Dealt with him and helped him realize that he has to listen to God. He has to trust God and to, and to give his heart fully surrendered. It was a surrender issue. It wasn't that the parents weren't, weren't loving, you know, and were just like squashing him down. They just loved him and they just wanted him to be safe. But this was a matter of him choosing to listen to God. There's so many things that, that if, we're, if we're, you know, if we're, like, not careful, we can allow these fears and these paranoias and, and these, these family things. And, and it's not just family I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, legitimate rights. Because that's really what this is about. It's not about family. It's about rights. This is about surrendering legitimate rights. What do I mean by legitimate rights? All right. We have legitimate rights, and we, we always feel like this is, like, something we have a right to do, such as um, what we do with our time, all right? What we do with our finances, what we do with our possessions, what we do with our dwelling place, right? Being, being a good steward of that stuff, God would say, well, that's actually mine, your time, that's actually mine. Yeah, all that money, who gave you the ability to create that wealth, right? Who gives you, who, who sustains you financially and, and materially? It's me. That's actually my stuff. But we feel like we have a right. To us, it's a legitimate thing, right? Um, just like things like acting the way that you want to, dressing the way you want to, you know? Some people get tattoos. And they're like, yeah, it's my right to do that. And it actually is, you know. No, nobody's saying that it's illegal, right? But, but was it, why did you do it? Did you do it because it was your right to do it? Or did you do it because God told you to do it? I'm just talking about rights. The right to be recognized. The right to be thanked the right to be encouraged oh i left that ministry because they didn't encourage me enough it is a it's a right you and it's a legitimate need right but you there's a difference when when you when you say i i have to have this or else i'm out of here right or or else i'm going to get my encouragement from jesus i'm going to have all of my needs met by Jesus. And, and it doesn't matter what other people give me. All of that stuff is icing on the cake. And it does, it's helpful, but it's not a right that you have. All of these things, when you finally relinquish your legitimate rights to Jesus, you have freedom. You have literally embraced full surrender. You have, you have cast aside, just like Paul says, everything that, that stops you from running your race with full strength, with full speed. You are no longer tied to anything. Your rights are gone. In other words, you've become a slave of righteousness. You know, And I think that's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be slaves of righteousness. Paul addressed his letters by saying, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, basically saying, I am dead. (laughs) I don't have any rights. Whatever Jesus says, I do. I'm not tied to any earthly thing. No affair that is of this world will, will consume me more than my mission to serve Jesus. And... And this is what it means to be on fire or consumed with God's passion. I wonder, is that, is that what you want for your life? Am I, just like, am I just being too radical here? Do you think that the Lord would use people like that, that have, that have, that have fully surrendered? Let's have the worship team come back up.